0: a few passages, I'm talking to you. I'm wanting us to get a real feel for Easter. Not just a blast off on Easter Sunday, but I want to I wanna go towards Easter taking these four weeks leading up to Easter, calling it the road to Easter, dealing with four things: the Passover, the plot, the prayer, the palms, and then of course there's the crucifixion and the resurrection. Last week we talked about the Passover. Today I want to talk about the plot to betray Jesus. And then next week, the prayer. The prayer in Gethsemane, where he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood, agonized over the cross. He was leaving the Lord's Supper to go to this. And he knew it. And he knew what it entailed because he was God. There was not one aspect of what he was about to suffer he wasn't fully aware of. And that's why he sweated, as it were, the great drops of blood. I love this cross. Because if you want to understand Jeff Wickwire, you look here. Because this is what changed my life. If you want to understand most of you, you look here. This is what changed your life. And so, let's, uh, I'm going to skip the Matthew verse, and I want to just go to, to John, halfway down there. And... Jesus has just told them, one of you is going to betray me. Shocker. Sitting at the twelve or at the table with the twelve. Now he says in verse 18, I'm not referring to all of you. I'm talking about one of you. I know the, those I've chosen. Jo- Jesus knows you. He knows me. He knows those he has chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me and he says i'm telling you now before it happens so that when it happens you will believe that i am who i am it'll be very clear to you when i'm betrayed crucified and resurrected that i am who i said i was now verse 21 after he had said this jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified truly i tell you one of you is going to betray me and his disciples stared at one another you can imagine how they looked each other up and down one of you, which one of you guys is going to do it? Which one of you would even consider it? They stared at each other at a loss to know which of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John, was reclining next to him. Now, what you have happening there is uh, John seemed to have an inside track as far as Peter was concerned. How many of you know somebody that seems to have an inside track? to Jesus. You call them to pray for you, all right? Simon Peter motioned to this disciple John and said, hey, psst, you ask him. Ask him who he means. So here's Jesus. He's leaning, or John, he's leaning on Jesus. And leaning back against Jesus, John said, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Jesus answered, I'll tell you who it is. It's the one to whom I'm going to give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then he took a piece of bread, dipped it in the dish, and after dipping the piece of bread, he turned and he gave it to Judas. Busted! And then uh, or the son of Simon, Iscariot. And so as soon as Judas took the bread, look what happened to him. Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're going to do, do it fast. Get it over with. But no one at the meal understood they never did. The disciples usually didn't have a clue. Jesus was always a mile ahead of them. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to Judas, but Jesus knew, and Judas knew that Jesus knew that Judas was going to do it. Matter of fact, at this point, he'd already been to the priests. He'd already received the 30 pieces of silver. he had already set up the plot. So when Jesus turned to him, Judas knew he knew and even that didn't stop him so father thank you for your word today and we pray that you'll speak to us out of this incredible recounting of your betrayal and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen god bless you you can be seated and let me talk to you about this this is a this is a a, a sombering sobering story a somber story and What's going on here is the betrayal of Jesus. Uh, He was betrayed by one of his own. And you know, nothing hurts worse than betrayal by a close friend. How many of you have ever been betrayed by somebody close to you? Better question, how many of you have not ever been betrayed? I want to meet you. I want you to look around. There's not a soul that has not been betrayed. And doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it hurt when it's somebody close to you? And even more so, somebody... For whom you've done a lot. You've been good to them, loved them, and they betray you. Jesus knew the feeling very well because one of his own twelve disciples supremely, exquisitely, viciously, diabolically betrayed him. Betrayed him with a kiss. Now in our opening scriptures we find Jesus gathered at a table. And here he is. He's instituting the first last supper. The Passover, that everybody outside of the room they're in, all the Jewish community is out there preparing for the annual Passover feast. But God knows, and in God's eyes, it's the last Passover. Doesn't need to be another one, because the Passover was only instituted by God to point down the tunnel of time to the day that his son would give his blood and sacrifice himself and be the final, ultimate, once for all, never needing to be done again, Passover and sacrifice. So, in God's eyes, the Passover that's about to happen is the last one. The Old Testament is fading away. The Old Testament is coming on the scene via Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So, Jesus is sitting here at the table. He knows it's the last Passover, and he knows that in mere hours, He'll go to that cross. He has just washed all of the disciples' feet, including Judas. Think about that. He washed Judas' feet, knowing those feet would soon take him to betray him. Out of nowhere, sitting there with the disciples, Jesus dropped a nuclear bomb. He says, let me tell you all something. Now, he didn't say, y'all, that's me. He said, let me tell you something. One of you is going to betray me. Now, this was big news. They didn't know the Word of God. They were not aware of what I'm about to read out of the Psalms. They were not thinking about it. They had not made the connection. They had not connected the dots. So they did not understand that it would be somebody amongst them that would betray him. But Jesus did, and he dropped the bomb. So this was complete shock news to the disciples. It threw them for a loop. It rattled them to their core. But he knew, or they knew, Jesus never missed. They knew if Jesus said, one of you is going to do it, one of them was going to do it. They just didn't know who it was. And so can you imagine the look on their faces when Jesus said, it's going to be one of you? Now immediately they each began to ask if they were the one. Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? Am I the one that's going to do it, Lord? Please tell me it's not me. And even Judas, this gets me, who had already taken 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, to betray Jesus. That's all Jesus meant to him at this point. The price of a slave. He'd already taken the money, and he had the gall to ask Jesus, when Jesus said, one of you is going to do it, is it I, Lord? Is it me? I think he wanted to know how thoroughly he was busted. To what degree he was busted. Does he just know somebody's going to do it? Or does he know that it's me? Now, if you pull back from this drama, and we could be God and look down at that table and these 12 disciples and Jesus Christ, Judas sitting there, and the whole scenario, what's about to take place on earth? If you could look down and view it from God's eyes, here's what you would have known. You would have known that the sovereignty of God was in total control you would have known that providence was working all of this out. You would have known that even though it looked like the evil intentions of men were winning the day, that actually God was working out the plan that He had hatched before man was created. Messiah was coming. God knew it. He knew. God wasn't surprised, and Jesus was not surprised. You know Jesus could easily have repeated Joseph's well-known saying, the, the one that we know him uh, by more than anything else, when he looked at his brothers who had betrayed him and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good to save many a people alive. Now watch this. Joseph was a type of Jesus. Joseph was betrayed by his own brethren. He was turned over to slavery. He was he was given over to death. They did not know what became of him. He's a type of Christ. He was turned on. He was betrayed. And yet God worked it for the good so that many people could be saved. Jesus, same thing. He, he came unto His own and His own received Him not. His own were the Jewish people. And they received Him not. And they turned on Him and they betrayed Him. And He could easily have said, what you are about to do, you mean it for evil. But my God is going to work it for the good to save many people alive. You see, we're saved today because Jesus went to the cross. And thank God it wasn't stopped. Thank God He did not turn back. Thank God He went all the way and allowed them to nail Him to that tree because we were delivered by that cross. We're forgiven by what happened on that cross. We find ourselves in that cross. We find our destiny in that cross. We're heaven-bound because of that cross. Now, the first thing that I see At play here in the betrayal of Jesus is prophecy fulfilled. You know, the greatest reason, one of the top greatest reasons to know or that you can know this is the Word of God is by the uncanny ability of God to tell you what's going to happen before it ever does. The prophecies in the Word of God, they have been fulfilled not 98% accurately, not kind of accurately, not mostly accurately, but the prophecies in this book, had been fulfilled with 100% perfect precision accuracy. And the life of Jesus was one prophecy after another fulfilled. From His birthplace, to His life, to His mother, to His death, to His resurrection, to His ministry. All were prophesied. Prophecy fulfilled. But, not only did God know where he would be born and what his ministry would look like and the eyes of the blind would be opened and deaf ears would be unstopped. But God even predicted that he would be betrayed by somebody close to him. Jesus said, This is to fulfill the passage of Scripture, He who shared my bread has turned against me. The Scripture Jesus quoted was Psalms 41, nine, where David, moved on by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, He dipped in the bread gave it to him. Who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Like so many of the events in Jesus' life, the betrayal of Judas was foretold by prophecy hundreds of years before it ever happened. There's another prophecy, Psalms 55, verse 12 to 14. Here it is again. God nailing it centuries before Judas turned on him. Quote, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. It wasn't an enemy. It wasn't somebody you would expect to turn on you. He said, but it is you. A man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together, walking in the house of God among the worshipers. We've been a church together. We ate together. We talked together. We befriended one another. I knew you. You knew me. The kind of person you would not expect would turn. God knew that not only would Messiah be betrayed, but he would be betrayed with the dagger thrust in and turned because it was going to be the betrayal of a friend, one of his own disciples, who he himself chose. So it was that Judas, who had been one of Jesus' closest companions for over three years, what gets me is he watched all the miracles happen. He saw the blind see, the deaf hear. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus stand up in the boat and talk to a storm and tell it to stop blowing and the waves to stop rolling. He saw him call Lazarus out of the grave. He saw a dead man come up out of the grave, wrapped in grave clothes, living, breathing, talking. He saw Jesus teach like no man ever taught, speak like no man ever spoke. He saw the beauty of his character, the flawlessness of his life. He watched him 365 days times three. That was the man that betrayed him with a kiss, and it wasn't just a kiss. The Greek is clear, used a word for kiss that meant a a passionate or an emotion-type kiss where it was feigned love. It was a lingering kind of kiss on his cheek. It was a stick-the-knife-in-and-turn-it thing. He was able to do that. No wonder the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart, apart from God, can do anything. Can can be plunged into any level of darkness, into incredible levels of depravity. This man who saw all of this, Judas, turned on him. Slapped him in the face. But you know what? Amazingly, God, who knows the end from the beginning, had already revealed the personal Intimate nature of the betrayal of his prophets of old, speaking about it. They they prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed exquisitely and painfully by a friend. And not only was prophecy fulfilled, but a second thing in the drama of Jesus' betrayal was providence was at work. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe in providence. That is, I believe that God is in control of circumstances and events. I believe that history is ultimately His story. I don't believe that God is ever checkmated. I don't believe that God is ever outdone. I don't believe that God is ever surprised. I don't believe that God is ever, in any sense of the word, defeated. God is always way ahead of the game. He knows the end from the beginning. He's able to prophesy future events because He dwells in eternity. He doesn't dwell in time He's not locked into time like we are. He lives in an eternal present tense. He's always there. He lives in eternity. So, providence is at work in this that is happening to Jesus. God is in charge, though it doesn't look like it. And some of you have got some circumstances in your life, and it does not look like God's in charge. But can I tell you that God's in charge? If you're God's child, God is in charge. And whatever the enemy tries to do to you, God is going to force him and force those circumstances to work together for your good. He can do nothing else. Now think with me for a minute. If you had been watching like the disciples watched Jesus' arrest and how he was treated to the natural eye, it looked like evil was winning the day. No doubt about it. They tried Jesus in kangaroo court on trumped-up charges, lied about him every step of the way, things he'd never done they charged him for. All of his friends and disciples fled when they said, I'll never leave you. Peter denied him three times, the third time cursing, right in front of Jesus, denied him. At the request of the Jewish people, they released Barabbas, a hardcore murderer, rather than Jesus Christ himself, who had done nothing wrong. They beat him beyond the ability to recognize him even as a human being. Not for who he was, but even as a human being. They pummeled him. His face was monstrous. Isaiah predicted, we will want to turn our face from him rather than look at him. It's too much to look at. It's too painful to see what they did to him. Mel Gibson did not do it justice in that movie. You could not. Show what really happened and make it a movie. It looked like Satan was winning. The disciples thought it was over. They went back to fishing. They went back to their old haunts. He's been defeated. The bubble was popped. The hope was gone. He's not who we thought he was. He's not in charge anymore. What's happened to the miracle worker? Yet when Jesus was brought before Pilate, John records something in chapter 19. We need to hear Pilate said to Jesus, Don't you know that I've got the power to release you or to crucify you? I've got the power. You better listen up, young man. I've got the power to take you out. But Jesus said to Pilate, I love this. No, you got it wrong, sir. You would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Translated, I trust providence. My heavenly Father is in charge. He has His way in the whirlwind and in the storm. He's not checkmated by storms. Hurricanes don't stop Him. The unexpected doesn't throw Him because it's never unexpected to God. When it looks like things are out of control, they're not. When it looks like they've gone crazy, they haven't because God will have the final say. That's why I tell you as our church home and as the flock God has given us, When you're in a storm, hang around for the final chapter to be written because I guarantee you God's going to get the glory. God is going to come through for you. What I love about Jesus is he trusted providence. He knew that God was in charge. He said, Pilate, you can't do one thing towards me that my heavenly Father doesn't allow you to do because my heavenly Father is Lord of lords, King of kings. He's over everything in his universe, and he holds the ultimate power. He's got the devil in check. He's got the devil muzzled. The devil is a dog on a leash. He answers to my heavenly Father, you can't touch me. And I believe that. And I want you to know that. So no matter what's going on in your life, how out of control it looks, above all of those crazy-looking circumstances is a serene God who is Lord of His universe and knows exactly how it's going to turn out. Hang on. It may be a bumpy ride, but God's going to get you to the other side. There was prophecy fulfilled. And there was providence at work, but then I see something else that really jumped out at me from this story. I see perfect love displayed. Notice the response of the disciples after Jesus said, "One of you will betray me." John thirteen twenty two says his disciples stared at one another. As we've already noticed, they looked at one another. They were at a loss to know uh, which of them he meant. Now, that's very telltale. That tells us something. Well, Pastor Jeff, what does that tell us? It reveals that Jesus had treated Judas with the same love, same gentleness, same kindness, same compassion, same thoughtfulness, same patience, same care as he had all of the others. Knowing what he was going to do to him. You know what I see here? Crazy love. Inhuman love, that is above human ability. I see astounding love, staggering love, jaw-dropping love. I see amazing love. We talk about amazing grace. Amazing grace is propelled by God's amazing love. The perplexity the disciples showed on their face showed that they had no clue who it could have been because they'd all been treated just the same now if i'm jesus and i know that this dude is going to betray me i'm treating him different yeah i'm treating him at arm's length i don't give him as much food as i give the others i tell him that maybe he's being led elsewhere <laughs> I, I, I treat him at, i treat him no no i don't treat him like the ones who i know are going to be there preaching for me at pentecost No, this guy, Jesus knew the end from the beginning. Don't forget, Jesus was God wrapped in flesh. Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He knew the ending of something before the beginning began. When he picked Judas, he knew that Judas would betray him. The good news is, Judas was not damned to hell, he was not damned to do a certain thing, as we're going to see in just a minute. He had choice after choice and chance after chance and act of will after act of will. He chose himself into the pit in which he went. But in the meantime now, Judas had been chosen by Jesus. And it says Jesus knew him. And you know what just gets me? Jesus loved him. You got a Judas in your life anywhere? You got a Judas anywhere? Have you got somebody that's just... Sandpaper? If you got somebody who's the chalkboard and you're the fingernails, or you're the chalkboard and they're the fingernails, you see them coming and you plead the blood and don the armor. Come on. You got somebody like that? What about somebody who, if God were to show you that person is going to betray you in such a way, it's going to shatter your heart? Would you love them? Could you love them? not me not unless i put on the agape love of god see jesus told us he said here's what you do with your enemies love your enemies bless those that curse you do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven because He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and He sends His reign on the just and on the unjust. Because if you love those who love you only, what have you done? Big deal. The publicans, the lost people do that. But if you can love those who are set against you, who are going to betray you or who have betrayed you, Can I give you some news? You don't have to like everybody. Jesus didn't say, like everybody. I couldn't do that. I love some people that I'm not crazy about as people. Nobody in this church. (laughs) No, no, they live in another state. (laughs) No, seriously. We don't have natural affinity with all people. There are some people we have nothing in common with. Okay? But he says, love them. Love them love him. Now, what about an enemy? Jesus every day got up with the 11, the 12 disciples, one of them, Judas. He loved him. He blessed him. He taught him. He ministered to him. He fulfilled his own teaching to us. I want you to love those who can't love you back. Don't love you back. So I see perfect love displayed, perfect love, right down to the end. As a matter of fact, I think there's more here. Why would Jesus unmask Judas at this point? Why not just let him go do what he was going to do? He knew what he was going to do. Why not just leave him alone? Why unmask him right there in front of everybody? Why make the scene that he did? Why go through the bread thing and, and, and why addressing that way why tell him go on and do it why 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 expose him i believe he did it for judas's sake let me tell you something about jesus he is always and evermore seeking the lost he's evermore seeking to get us to turn when he sees somebody in sin he's all about coming to you and giving you every chance to turn That's Jesus. We're we're all dependent upon the patience of God. We all really breathe because of the patience of God. If God wasn't patient, we'd be grease spots in this room. Nobody would be here. But aren't you glad He was patient and He gave you time and chance after chance to turn? I believe He exposed Judas to give him a chance to turn. He was giving him one last chance to turn around. I think he was saying to him, Judas, have you really thought this through, what you're about to do? Judas was not born to go to hell. Judas was given a chance. And more chances. Second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Judas' heart was hard by this time, likely made that way by the many months of stealing from the money box, among other things. The Bible tells us that Judas was the treasurer of the Jesus ministry. He had the money bag. And the Bible says that he'd gotten into dipping it in that money bag. First 50 cents, then a buck, then a few bucks, then a lot of dollars. He was stealing from the money bag. He was becoming hooked on money. And the more he got hooked on money, the less he cared anything about Jesus Till finally at the end, caring only about money, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver to him, the price of a slave. That's it. He really gave himself away when Mary of Bethany came to him, came to Jesus and poured on his feet the expensive perfume. Who was it that blew up? Judas. This money could have been sold for the poor. You lying dog. You don't care about the poor. You wanted the money for that perfume in the money bag because you wanted some of it. Every time, here's the nature of humanity. Every time a person sins, a hardening comes in. a hardening comes in. With every sin, there's a slight hardening of the will. And then, if the sin is repeated, the hardening gets worse. God is at first calling you like this, and then it's 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 like this. You can't hear Him. Eventually. Eventually, you become so dangerously hardened to the pleading of God's Spirit, you don't hear Him. This is what Hebrews 3.13 warns about when he says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Watch out, because sin is deceitful. It hardens your heart. It callouses your spirit. Such a hardened person eventually doesn't want to turn. They love their sin more than they love the light. They love their sin too much. And I believe this is exactly what happened with Judas. Not just with the money, but with many things. He was fully deceived by Satan. He had been flirting with sin so long that now Satan had taken over. We know that because when Jesus said, it says he gave him that bread, it says Satan right then entered into him. Not against his will, he'd opened the door. At this point, I see Jesus' grace pulling back. I see it pulling back when he said, All right, okay. I can tell your mind's made up. What you're gonna do, go do it. Now watch. I'm a preacher of the gospel, I'm a preacher of the truth. I'm gonna be truthful with you. I gotta be truthful with you. And everyone listening by radio, there's a line with God. And Judas here crossed it. There's a line. God will call, he will woo, he will coax, he will warn. He will speak. He'll draw. He'll send people to you. He'll send books to you. He'll send messages to you. It seems like for a while there, God's talking to you. If, if you have turned from Him and you're drifting and, and you know that you're playing church and you're not really walking with Him, you're just playing church. And, and so you drift. And He'll call. He woos. He speaks. He reaches. He grasps. He, he, tr- he coaxes. He tries to persuade. But eventually... Eventually, your heart gets so hard that you cross a line. And only God knows where that line is. I believe America is one step from that line. If it wasn't for the church, then I think America is in big trouble. Now, Judas crossed that line. Jesus knew the line. I don't think Judas knew that it was the final line. But there's permanent consequences to resisting God's grace. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and he and it was night. It's always night when you walk away from Jesus. It's literally night in Judas's life, but it's figuratively night in his life because he shut out the voice of the Son of God. It's night when you walk away from his grace. Promise you, it's night when you shut out his voice. It's night. When you decide you don't need His Word anymore or His favor anymore or His forgiveness anymore or His goodness anymore and you want to go your own way, as soon as you decide that, I promise you, the sun is setting in your life. Off Judas went into the night, solitary figure, leaving not just his companions of the last three years but the final offer of God's grace. He said goodbye to Peter, bye James, Bye, John. Bye, Andrew. Bye. I've known you guys for three years. Listen, we're just having a parting of ways. I don't agree with this anymore. I really believe he'll get himself out of this just like he got himself out of everything else that I saw him get into. He always walked through the crowd, walked away. He'll get out of this. And I'll have my 30 pieces of silver and I'm just going my own way. He had no idea that soon... They would beat him beyond recognition. Soon they would whip his back into bloody shreds. Soon they'd hang him on a cross. And when he realized what was going on, what his betrayal had done, he freaked out. He came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss, but soon he would hurl the blood money back into the faces of the priests that had paid him, and soon he would die by taking his own life. I have betrayed an innocent man, an innocent man, and those priests that gave him that money said, What is that to us? We don't care. See, when you drift from him, I say this in love, you always go further than you thought you would, and you always do more than you thought you should. It's like getting on a ride at Six Flags. You ever gotten on one of those rides at Six Flags? You go, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Have you ever done that? The last one I was on was with my daughter right there. She coaxed me onto the Texas Giant. I thought I would never live to tell about it. I'm serious. We got on the Texas. She said, Dad, it won't hurt you. She said, look, you're taller than that little guy. And I said, yeah, but I don't know if I've got the heart he's got. She said, come on. We got on it. And oh, my Lord. Oh, I mean, as a matter of fact, I still have the picture that they take of you when you come down. But here's my point. Sin is that way. You think you're about to have a fun ride. But then something else takes over. And you're on something that you want off of and it's got you and you don't I couldn't have gotten off that thing for anything. I was trapped until it let me go. Ask me if I've been back. I haven't even been back to visit. Now watch this. Sin does that. And sin leaves you a hollow shell of what you used to be, and that's what Jesus what happened to Judas? So here we see in the plot to betray Jesus. We see prophecy fulfilled. We see providence at work. God was in control. And it's powerful. And it's it's beautiful to watch. And it was His plan. But then you see these terrible consequences that Judas could not stop. And I want to pray for you today. First of all, if you've got somebody in your life that you need to love, and you just can't seem to do it, I want to pray for God's grace on you because you can do it, and you can stay free. And maybe God's talking to some of you about turning from something. Would you stand with me? Because I want to pray that God's grace, prophecy fulfilled, providence at work, perfect love displayed, permanent consequences for resisting the grace of God. I believe in my heart, I know in my heart, that some of you are experiencing in your life the Word of God coming to you and saying, turn. A person, place, or thing, he's saying, turn. Turn from a person, turn from a place, turn from a thing, turn. Now here's what you're saying. You're saying, but I've turned so many times. Turn again. I don't think God is going to forgive me again. He'll forgive you every single time you repent. But I failed before, I'll fail again. No, you won't. God's amazing grace will hold you up. He sees you struggling and he sees you trying. And I'm going to pray that we leave it today in this altar. We're going to leave in the altar what we need to turn from. You're going to walk out of here without it. So can we turn, bow our heads right now. And I'm going to ask you, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, this was for me. And I know that the Spirit of God is talking to me about turning. There's something I need to turn from. And if I don't turn, I know that it's going to sting. I know that it's going to hurt. I know that the consequences are not going to be good. I need to turn. I love you today. I only preach this because I love you. God put it on my heart because He loves you. He doesn't want you on that ride that is taking you where you don't want to go. He's going to grace you today to turn and you can say pastor jeff that's me and i want that grace today i'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are real high many people keep them up keep them up oh his grace is here i'm going to ask you to do something i want you if you raise your hand i want you to slip out and come down here why do i need to come down there because it's a step of faith. The moment you take a step, grace is going to take over. And that thing you need to turn from is already doomed. The minute you take a step, it's doomed. I want you to come now. Forget about what people think. Who cares what people think? And why can't you come now? Your pride won't let you. But your pride is killing you. Your pride will keep you from God. God. I want you to come now and let grace set you free. There's a person, there's a place, there's a thing. The grace of God is gonna help you to turn. And this is so crucial because sometimes when you give an invitation like this, it's literal life and death that you're dealing with because sometimes if we don't turn, the consequences can be severe. But I'll tell you, so many good things are going to happen because of this turning today. So many good things. I don't believe this is everybody. This is a lot of people, but I don't believe it's everybody. We're going to sing a stanza or two, and then we're going to pray, and God's going to move, and He's going to set us free today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lamb.